1: Anson Tebow. Sorry, buddy. I'm going to cut in on you here because we have a very special guest today and it is Lori Peters. And she comes from Concord Christian Academy all the way down to Nashua today to give us just an incredible podcast on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lori, how are you today?
2: I'm good. Thanks.
1: Yes. So uh, you attend Crossway. I do. You attend the Pond Campus and everything. Um, So tell us real quick, just kind of about your background, what your area of study is, And uh, maybe just about your family as well, real quick.
2: Sure. So the easy part is my family. I'm married to Kevin. Yeah. And he loves all this stuff too, as an apologist. And we have six kids and three in-law kids and four grandkids and a fifth one on the way. Woohoo! My youngest is a freshman at Liberty. And my oldest uh, just got out of the military, so we have quite the range.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
2: And uh, we've been doing apologetics for about... 11 years now, we started looking into reasons for why Christianity is true because we were teaching youth and speaking in church, and I led worship, and people were asking questions that growing up in church I hadn't really thought of before, and it opened up a whole new world for us to see through the eyes of people who are outside of what we grew up with. Yeah and so we wanted to answer their questions we call it answering curious questions about christianity but also it did open some areas in our own lives that we needed to deal with and ask our own questions and find those answers so that's how we started we worked with ratio christi for 10 years which is a campus apologetics ministry out at unh is where we served And then six years ago, I started teaching apologetics in a Christian school, and four years ago, I went up to Concord Christian Academy, and I've been teaching full-time since, and I get to teach my students four years of this stuff. That's awesome. So I have a captive audience, but I look at it as a way of building their faith or answering their questions or preparing them to answer questions for other people.
1: And if I remember you saying during one of our Monday schools, Concord Christian um, accepts kind of all uh, family belief backgrounds. So not every student you have is a Christian.
2: That's right. We have students who are seeking. We have students who are open. But I do have some students who are outright opposing what they learn about the Bible and Jesus and worldviews and those kinds of things. So my classroom truly is open to all who have questions it's a safe place for them to challenge me yes and a safe place to ask questions
1: tell us like how long uh, you've been studying kind of uh like all of the the resurrection and things like that you've said that this is your favorite um subject to study i believe
2: it's one of my favorites. one of your favorites okay what else <laughs> do you like studying so the problem of evil is my area of specialty okay and bioethics is my other area of specialty. So. Answering questions of why God allows pain and suffering. Mm. And if he's good, why does he allow it? If he's all powerful, why doesn't he stop it? Yeah. So addressing those kind of concerns. And then bioethics, where I really dig into what does God say about how we are to treat all people? Mm. And I teach that to my seniors, and I, and I just love teaching that class. But the resurrection of all the kind of central apologetics topics is my Favorite, and it's been my favorite ever since I heard Dr. Gary Habermas speak at an apologetics conference in Rhode Island in 2008.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, we are in the middle of our um, our with God series, with God journey series, but we took a pause for these two weeks, and this Sunday is is probably the biggest sunday in the in the history of christianity it's the biggest sunday for christians it's the biggest sunday for people who believe in jesus and and what he did and that is mainly because of the resurrection and there's many people um that, that fall like it it's true that like if the resurrection didn't happen like if if it wasn't true like the christian faith somewhat falls apart like what we believe what we believe about jesus falls apart so like I think we have to start though with why people don't, because like we as Christians we profess, yeah, we believe in the Christian, believe in in the resurrection, what it means, but there's a lot of people in the world that don't believe in it and and don't believe it's true and don't believe that Jesus actually was the Son of God or rose from the dead. So like, why do? What are some reasons that people believe that? Hey, this actually isn't true.
2: I think the biggest reason right now is we live in a very pluralistic world, and so there are so many worldviews to take on that to take a worldview that says this is the only way this is the only truth this is the only way to God almost feels bigoted or prejudicial and so people want to explore and so I think that's part of why they'll be like I'm not sure if the resurrection is true or not or how that fits in with other world religions the other thing I think people struggle with is what does it mean It means miracles are possible. It means I've got to think about what Jesus was saying about himself. Maybe it entails a response if it actually happened. And lastly, I think in our culture here in the Northeast, it's so cultural. So many people have grown up going to uh, Easter services, Good Friday services. It almost feels like a cultural belief versus a true faith belief
1: especially in the northeast where we are very kind of catholic uh you know in that kind of boston area and yeah i mean it's like orthodox easter is probably maybe even bigger maybe think, think of like christmas and things like that um living in the south for the past 10 years everyone goes on sunday but up here everyone goes on christmas and easter so yeah ap- absolutely uh so that's kind of why maybe some people don't believe but uh what are like this okay this is just my favorite things like why then should we believe
2: so the one thing that I love about the resurrection is we can start at a starting place where you may be a person who says I don't know that Jesus rose from the dead but there are some things I agree with you on so there's like five things that skeptics will agree with Christians on and the first one is that Jesus died by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans it's an attested fact not just that the romans were involved they were experts in crucifixion they had mastered it by the time jesus was crucified but the fact that he actually died uh, i love that the journal of american medicine tackled this 3 decades ago on the injuries that jesus sustained and that he truly died mm-hmm. blunt force trauma um the blood just being overflowing and all of the things that would have killed him even before the cross so you have this idea that he died on the cross there are a few people in society who will question that but the expert scholars won't even if they're skeptics so they agree on that the second thing that they agree on is that the disciples had some sort of experience where they claimed to have seen the resurrected jesus and in that experience they were willing to die for that eyewitness testimony they didn't just die for a faith belief that was you know ambiguous or vague They died for what they claimed they saw. And I don't know about you, but if I was lying about what I saw and my life was on the line, I would change my story.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yep.
2: And then the third thing that skeptics will agree on is that the tomb to this day is empty. Now, we could go into all the theories of why the tomb was empty, but it is actually empty. And we have that early testimony, even from the enemies of Jesus, early, early on, that the tomb was actually empty. So it needs an explanation. And then we have two people who are total skeptics. One was a half-brother of Jesus, James, and he thought his brother was crazy. He and his siblings went to go take him back to Nazareth because they thought he was out of his mind. He suddenly shows up in Acts 15 as a leader of the church, and we're like, where did that happen? How did that come about? We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to him sometime after his death. And then Paul He was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He thought he was doing God's righteous work for Judaism by silencing, punishing, and killing blasphemers. And after two years of doing that, he has some sort of experience on his way to Damascus to imprison more Christians, where he gives up his whole world, his power, his prestige, his education, to become a Christian to become a follower of Christ. And we need some sort of explanation for that. So these five things, skeptics agree on. So we can come to the table and say, okay, let's look at these five things and say, what's the best explanation for them? There's a lot of technical stuff that you can get into, and you can read Mike Lacona's book on the historiographic method of studying the resurrection. Much easier book is Habermas and Lacona have a book called The Case for the Resurrection, But historians have given criteria to us to help us understand how to evaluate possibilities. And I won't go into those technical details tell you just pick up the books, they're awesome. (laughs) But it helps us look at alternatives to the best explanation. So obviously as a Christian, I'm gonna say the best explanation is the resurrection. But if I'm having a conversation with someone, I want them to give me what they think is the best explanation. And they often come into three categories. The first one is Jesus didn't really die. He just looked dead. Yep. And in fact, uh, the Islamic religion and the Quran teaches that he didn't die, that God would not have allowed him to die that way. And so we have a direct conflict in just even that fact. We have that they had a hallucination or a vision. And then the third one is the body was stolen. So those pretty much cover all the objections. There are variants within those but we can look at how each one of those might be an explanation for the resurrection.
0: Those are, it's like so much information that we're looking at when it comes to like, what do people believe about the resurrection? How how are we supposed to think about this? Because it is such a big thing. I remember reading, um, actually, I watched the movie, like the least, I think it was Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, yes, which yes. that's like what he was getting to the bottom at was what should, like, should we believe in the resurrection? And he comes to this conclusion that he does. And I remember him working through a lot of the reasons and, and things you said. So like you gave those like three things, the, the hallucinations, the body was stolen, and that Jesus didn't really die. So how, how are we as Christians who believe that he did, how are we supposed to navigate those three, those three different sort of, hey, these are, this is why it didn't actually happen?
2: So one of the easiest way to do that is look at the five facts that we as skeptics and believers agree on and then say, which one of these explains the m- most of them? So if Jesus didn't really die, first of all, we have a problem with the Roman soldiers. They were experts in execution, and their lives depended on it going well. If Jesus hadn't really died, they would have lost their life for not truly killing him and letting him go. Secondly, there's no way he could have made it through everything that he made it through, even to the cross. But one of the compelling factors medically is that after Jesus died— On the cross, they used a spear to stab his heart. And water and blood flow. That's what scripture says. But what the first century writers didn't understand that we understand is that is evidence of fluid around the heart showing that he suffocated and was dead. So even if you put the spear in him, if you pierce the heart, if he's not already dead, he's going to die. But that water and blood flows shows that he died. But even if... He made it to the tomb somewhat alive he had no medical attention even our modern day medicine probably would not have kept him alive he would have had to stay in the tomb the whole weekend in the dark in the cold no food no water and then somehow roll away the stone it's physically humanly impossible for all of that to occur and that's why the experts say no he actually died we have good evidence from medicine to say that he died so that kind of takes care of the idea that he just looked dead but wasn't really dead mm. when it comes to the hallucination theory this is where we can bring in modern psychology yeah. hallucinations happen in the mind of the individual so even if they had an hallucination they would not have all hallucinated Jesus' Jesus's appearance on the shoreline that we see in John 21. They would not have all seen him in the locked room. They would not have all seen him and the conversation he had with Thomas when he said, place your fingers in my side and in my hands. They would not have all seen him in all the separate incidents leading up to the ascension in Acts 1. They would have had different experiences, different clothes, different sayings, different events. They couldn't have all had one mass hallucination. Dr. Habermas brings up, too, that some incidents that we have seen throughout history, like um, at Medjugorje Medjugorje and uh, Fatima, where it seems like there has been a mass hallucination, they didn't actually happen. There's one or two people who see the statue of Mary cry or Jesus appear. The children see Jesus appear, but everyone else sees the children. They may see clouds move. They may see the sky change colors but the sky is real and the clouds are real that's not a hallucination that's an illusion he makes the point that those kinds of spiritual illusions are sort of like when you go to bed at night and you left your ball cap on the dresser and you wake up in the middle of the night and you see the shadow over there and you think someone's standing in your room it's an illusion or when David Copperfield made large objects disappear on tv those are illusions And that's what those were. They were not mass hallucinations. So psychology tells us it's impossible. And other historical events we can rule out not being the same type of events. But I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians when he says, you know, first he appeared to Peter, and then to James, and then to John, and then to the 12, and then to 500, some of whom have fallen asleep. But he's challenging the readers in Corinth, hey, if you don't believe me, go ask the 500 who are still alive. They'll tell you what they saw. And I don't think Paul would have challenged them if there wasn't some evidence to go back to, because it would have made him look like a false prophet to the church in Corinth to say such a thing. So hallucinations, visions, that doesn't work either. It might explain fact number two, what the disciples saw, but, and it, it doesn't really explain the death. I mean, you could say, well, because he died, they saw had the hallucination. But the tomb's empty, and it doesn't explain that. And it definitely doesn't explain why two skeptics who did not like Jesus would give up their whole life who for him. Who weren't
1: even part of the group. Not part Completely of the group. Completely random, out of nowhere, that all of a sudden was like, I believe now too. You're yes. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't
2: make sense. And then the stolen body, there's a lot of different components to this. If... The disciples stole the body. First of all, they were first century Jews. They wouldn't have wanted to touch a dead body.
1: Oh, interesting. It would
2: make them unclean. They'd have to go make sacrifices. Even the women who went that morning to finish the burial process would have had to make those sacrifices because they would have been unclean under the law. So it's not like Jews went around picking up dead bodies. But even if they had stolen it, it doesn't make sense they would claim a resurrection we see this in the number of passages when Jesus talks about the resurrection when the Sadducees try to trap him about who will be married to whom Jesus taught a resurrection but in their mind in first century Judaism they believed in a resurrection at the end of time for all the righteous Jews maybe some righteous Gentiles if they converted to Judaism but that was it that was their whole theology
1: not like an immediate one?
2: No, not an immediate one. Even though they saw Lazarus, they knew Lazarus would die again. He wasn't in a glorified body. Yeah, We have the story of Elijah in the Old Testament where he raises the widow's son, but it's not a resurrection in, that, in the sense that Jesus came in his glorified body to never die again. Yeah. They only saw that at the end of time. And so to give up that theology because they were trying to start some mythical religion is beyond their comprehension it's not in their background knowledge to come up with that and remember we're living at a time that there's two predominant religions the roman gods and judaism there's not a lot of cults like we see where some random person just starts a psychological religious cult or that kind of thing there were cultish people but it wasn't normal in their background knowledge. So it doesn't make sense they would steal the body and claim a resurrection. Now in Roman culture, it was possible that you would take a body and put it on public display, light candles around it, put flowers out to venerate it. Again, a Roman practice, not a Jewish practice. If they had stolen the body to venerate it, they would have opened it up for everyone else to come and pray and see. The body. They wouldn't have hidden it and then claimed a resurrection for themselves. And you still got to deal with those 500 people that didn't say they saw a veneration of Jesus, but they saw a risen Jesus. So that explanation doesn't make make much sense. Then going back to James, again, we have only two passages, really, 1 Corinthians 15 and then Acts 15, where we see James suddenly this follower but we have church tradition and other writings from the early church fathers and the early apologists that tell us that James was martyred in Jerusalem for his beliefs there was a persecution they rounded up the Christians because they were easy scapegoats and James was thrown off the top of a building as his sentence why would he do that why would he do that if the body was just stolen and then Paul same kind of thing and and this is really The way I think about Paul, he had a PhD in Phariseeism. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He knew Greek philosophy. He was very powerful. We know he was there approving of of the stoning of Stephen, holding the coats of the people there. In the, the time Stephen is stoned until his Damascus Road experience, he becomes so powerful that he's the primary persecutor of Christians. He has Roman citizenship and he's a Jew, and he probably has wealth. We know that the Pharisees and Sadducees took a cut of what was happening in the temple, that Jesus overturned all the money changer tables. They were taking a cut of all that. Oh, wow. And this was somebody who'd worked his whole life to be in this position, and he considered himself righteous. The Pharisees were excellent rule followers. And he thought he was doing what was righteous in God's eyes because the Old Testament taught that if there are blasphemers, blasphemers, sorry, couldn't say that well, they need to be stoned. They're dishonoring the one true holy God. And if they're Jews doing it, oh my goodness, you cannot have them. They will pollute the body. Why in the world would a stolen body convince Paul? The body's just gone. Okay, yeah, so the tomb is empty. There's nothing in those two pieces of evidence to make Paul give up his whole world. And we see him go to Damascus, and he's already in trouble. He's (laughs) already being persecuted. And here's a guy who's been stoned multiple times, beaten, flogged, shipwrecked. He had to call on his Roman citizenship more than once. He convicted the centurion of saying, hey, you already flogged a, a Roman citizen, and they let him go. But he went through so much persecution, turmoil, way worse than if he just stayed a Pharisee. That needs an explanation. And unfortunately, the disciples stealing the body just doesn't make sense. But let's pretend, for just a minute, they wanted to make up a new religion. And they were going to make up a new mythology about their rabbi, Jesus. Who were the first witnesses at the tomb? Females. The females. Yeah females whose testimony was only worth um, three were worth the testimony of one man they couldn't own property Mm -hmm. they better hope they have an eldest son if they're going to be a widow because they need that eldest son to support them and they're the ones talking about their rabbi coming back from the dead there's no reason to think that you would make up a story and have the least qualified people right Your eyewitnesses. I love it. And not only that, but you've got Mary Magdalene, who is the first one to see the resurrected Jesus. The other women saw the empty tomb and the angel. She sees the resurrected Jesus after a moment of despair. And she goes and tells the disciples. You would never do that if you were making up a story. In fact, you wouldn't include things like your main disciple, Peter, denying the rabbi three times. You wouldn't have them locked away in a room, afraid. You'd have them outside that tomb awaiting because they would understand the prophecy. They would understand what Jesus said when he said, you can tear this temple down, but I will rebuild it in three days. But they didn't. They didn't get it. You have all these principles of embarrassment throughout the whole story. And then you have women of all people. Being the first eyewitnesses and evangelists to the resurrection, a mythology in first century times, whether it's a Roman mythology, a Greek mythology, or some weird cult of Judaism theology, you would never have women being the heroes of the followers of Jesus. You would have his disciples. And yet, every account in the Gospels has the women there. And it's consistent with who Jesus was in all of his ministry. So even if the body was stolen because they wanted to make up a legend, you wouldn't have the women as your eyewitnesses. And that is one of the untested, unattested facts. Nobody disagrees that the women were there. No one disagrees. In fact, it was very much part of their culture to help with the final burial process. So you look at all of those things and you go, there, there's no other good explanation. Now, when I'm talking to people and we're sitting around having coffee, they go, yeah, but then you still got to answer some miracle. We see miracles happen today. Mm -hmm. I love Craig Keener. Bless his heart. He's an amazing professor, an amazing writer. He has two volumes set on modern miracles that are documented with medical evidence and testimony, not just I saw this happen or I believe this happened, from all over the world. If miracles can happen today, and the majority of doctors have experienced that, then miracles could have happened 2,000 years ago. And certainly, if miracles can happen, God can raise Jesus from the dead. And it verified everything Jesus said about himself. It's not just that all of Christianity hangs on the resurrection, because it does. Everything Jesus taught about himself hangs on the proof he gave at the resurrection. And he did. It wasn't just the miracles that he did before then. It was the miracle of his resurrection that sealed the deal. Now, maybe some one-eyed, one-horned, flying, purple people-eater in another multiverse did it, but we actually have no good reason to believe that. We have no probable reason to believe that. With the evidence that we have, with everything before us, the fact that in 2,000 years, we're still down to the swoon theory, the hallucination theory, and the stolen body theory. The best answer is the resurrection. Mm-hmm.
1: Proving the resurrection in the way that you just did, how does that add to the authority of the Bible?
2: One of the things that I love about our current With God series is that we started back in Genesis. Mm-hmm. I'll be. I'm still interested to see how quickly we're going to move <laughs> through the year. Uh, as a Bible teacher, I spent an entire year just from Genesis to Second Kings, yep. but and I was teaching four days a week. <laughs> but the story of Jesus is there in the beginning in Genesis three fifteen, and God's redemptive plan is through the entire Old Testament. And so when we get to Jesus and we see the fulfillment of the prophecy, we see the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, we see the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to the nation of Israel, fully embodied in Christ. And then he dies. Like we get the the hindsight, we get the backside of the story. But to see him fulfill everything God promised and said he would do, It points to hey the Gospels are not just the only part of the Bible we should be listening to the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation is telling us how to live how to love how to minister to other people how to do church and how to have these kind of gospel with conversations and so it's not just about yes I accept Jesus as my Savior And I believe the resurrection is true. But prior to that, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll take up your cross and follow me. You will deny yourself and follow me. So his resurrection says, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. If you're going to follow me, it's all of me. And it needs to be all of us. In following what he's taught us from Genesis to Revelation.
0: That's awesome. And I think one of the things that I think about when it comes to apologetics, I mean, it, it gets to the core of, of like arguing for the faith in, in a non-confrontational way of saying like, hey, I'm not trying to necessarily get into this battle with you, but rather saying, hey, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. So how, when we get to the resurrection, this thing that literally everything on our faith relies on, how do we talk about those, to this to this with people who don't believe in a respectful, God honoring, loving way, sharing belief and not demeaning of saying, "Hey, here's the evidence that we see. Why don't you believe this?" Like, how do we have these conversations when it comes to hard things about the faith, especially something that are like, "Hey, if you come to believe in Jesus, like this is what you got to believe in. Like this has to be true."
2: I think the first thing we have to do is be prepared. Yeah. So everything I just said, anybody can be prepared with that. Mm-hmm. It takes reading it and studying it and talking about it with, you know, your spouse or your parents or your kids. So you get to practice it with people where it's safe. We need to know the answers and be ready. It's what 1 Peter 3.15 says, to always be prepared with an answer.
1: Yeah.
2: I think we need to give people space as well. So I like to ask questions what do you think is the explanation for why Jesus came and what happened to him after he died? What do you think about what you read on Reddit or Quora? Mm -hmm. I like to hear what they've heard because sometimes people will read things that scholars would not give credence to, and we need to give them the space to process that. Mm. So I do a lot of listening first when I'm talking about the resurrection with people. When I lay out the evidence, I'll ask a lot of times, and even with my students, what do you think about that? Why do you think it wouldn't work for the swoon theory? What do you think? It gives them, again, a time to think through each one of these possibilities without feeling pressured. And if they want to say, hey, I need some time to think about that, again, space. I know for me... I want to get to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. I want to seal that deal. I want them to come to Jesus and find new, abundant life with him. But sometimes we got to give space to people to think through this because it's a different way of thinking. So often as Christians, we have presented the gospel in a way that is very true to the church and very true to scripture, very foreign to people who've never darkened the door of a church. This is a logical, philosophical way to look at it and they've never heard that before. Yeah. So they need time to think about it. Right. And then when they're ready to talk, and I just think about a particular student we had out at UNH who came to one of our events as a skeptic and by the end of the next semester was a believer coming to the resurrection talk specifically. She said that the most compelling part of the argument was the women. And the fact that Jesus would use women and she had never thought of that before. Now, that might not resonate with someone else. Maybe for someone else, it's the conversion of Paul or James. But giving them time to think about what resonates with them and then asking, why? Why is that important to you? What, what is that about that that makes you feel good about this story? I do think there's a point, though, that you have to eventually ask. What do you think happened? And what do you want to do about it? But that comes in relationship and time. I think there are people out there who can close the deal in one conversation in a grocery store aisle or from a pulpit on Sunday morning. But for the most of us, it's the long haul of relationship yeah. that we talk about these things.
1: So what are gonna be, uh, if we wanted to dive into this even further, we have we at Crossway actually have uh, your Monday School class uh, that's online on our YouTube channel. But if we want to go even further, what are some books or something like that, uh, podcasts, any kind of resources that you like to use? What can we go and uh, join in on that?
2: So Frank Turek has a YouTube channel and a podcast uh, called Cross Examined. And he talks a lot about a lot of these things. Uh, Let me make a little plug. He's coming to New Hampshire, by the way. He's a world-renowned apologist. He will be at UNH on May 3rd at 7. He will be at Concord Christian Academy at 6.30 on May 4th.
1: Nice. Did you pull those strings?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the great thing about Ratio Christi. We have partnerships with all the major apologetic ministries. So um, it was just a matter of getting him on the schedule post-COVID because he was supposed to be here like three years ago. Oh, okay. So on the UNH event, he's going to talk about arguments for the existence of God. How do we know the Bible is true? And he's going to camp on the resurrection. It's a great night to bring your friends to come here kind of the whole apologetics 101 in one night. Um, On the Thursday night thing, he's talking to parents and grandparents and people who work with kids on how to teach them kindness and confidence in all those things we just talked about how to obey obey Christ, how to love others, but be obedient to the way he lived. So that's going to be a little bit different night, but if you work with kids in any way, shape, or form, it's a great night to be there. So he's a great one. The one-minute apologist, Bobby Conway, he is really good at summarizing things in less than a couple minutes. He interviews apologists as well, so if you have a quick question, he's got his YouTube channel. Uh, Gary Habermas... Gary Habermas.com is his website. There's tons of free resources there. He's got papers and links to his books and all that kind of
1: stuff. Is that who you studied under? Yes, I did.
2: And he's about to finish his magnum opus on the resurrection. My understanding it's at like volume four right now. Whoa. So that's pretty cool. Mike Lacona and risenjesus.org is another great website. He has tons of videos on YouTube as well. He is an expert, again, in the resurrection, but he covers all of the the major topics that people have questions about in apologetics. Um, The books, William Lane Craig, reasonablefaith.org is his website. He has tons of information. He is probably the highest echelon of scholar in the apologetics world right now but his heart for jesus and reaching others is incredible he teaches a defenders class on sunday morning it's live streamed but you can catch all the videos it's like a four year sunday school class
1: oh that's so cool and he
2: teaches doctrine theology and apologetics through that so it's incredible as well uh Krista Bontrager, theology mom, she has a podcast that is great, and she tackles apologetics and theology topics. Elisa Childers has a podcast and a YouTube channel. There's just so many good ones. I I can't even go through all of them. I think the the list we gave the Monday School folks was three pages long yes. of, of books and podcasts and those kinds of things. It, it and it's just it's there's a wealth of information out there. Yeah, a wealth. And whether you're listening in your car or like my kids who want to be on YouTube or me who like to still old school and mark up my books and dog ear them. Yep. There's every opportunity to do all of that.
0: Yeah. So we want to thank you so much for just hopping on and giving up, giving up so much of your time. First of all, for Monday school, I mean, it was eight weeks of you guys, you and your husband just pouring your hearts and pouring your, the wisdom that you guys have like brought with you into just this crossway community and while i know chris was there pretty much every week i wasn't able to be there but just the positive things i kept hearing mm-hmm. um from from different people i mean i have family that goes to that and every week they'd be like this was great we learned so much and all of this we want to thank you so much because that's like 11 years of you guys studying and working and these things and i think that's an encouragement for for someone like me working in ministry as well of saying like hey you study this for eleven. You continue to study. You continue to learn. You continue to grow, so that you can continue to pour. Because, like, I think the encouragement is like you. Eleven years ago, might not have been able to give all of that information. Like you, no, just not did. at all. So, like, that's such an encouragement to us to say, hey, let's learn these things. Let's study them. Let's practice them. And then, as we continue to go, I know Dave's starting a new Monday class right now, going through the the Sermon on the Mount. Let's learn things. Let's grow. Let's study. Um, and not everybody's going back to get their PhD, but it's such a blessing to have people who are and then are using that <laughs> yeah. to then pour back into the community. Um, so I want to thank you so much for that and then coming on here and just giving us a sort of crash course on the <laughs> resurrection. I mean, Easter's the biggest time of the year for the Christian church. Christmas is the most exciting time of the year, I think, but Easter's the most important time of the year um, it, because this is what our faith hinges on. It, it hinges on Jesus coming back from the dead, defeating death, defeating darkness for then us to come into new life with him. And you use the word abundant life and it's just such a truth. So I want to thank you so much for just giving of yourself to this community and serving the community in this way.
2: It was my pleasure. My heart has always been for the local church. My students asked me the other day, Mrs. Peters, did you like going to church or did your parents force you? And I said, I wanted to work in church as a kid. (laughs) I looked for excuses to go in the summertime as a teenager. So I love the local church. And to be able to connect with Crossway and really get engaged now that we're past COVID and all the craziness. And we just just love it. And we're learning alongside everybody else as well. You're exactly right. I'm not where I was 11 years ago, but I was nowhere 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was all new to me. And I love helping others I love teaching my students even when they don't necessarily like it yeah but I love pouring into them and I love being connected both to church and school at the local level
1: mm-hmm. are you still finding kind of new things each day that even you yourself who are like so wise in such things are like oh that's so cool I didn't know that
2: I do all the time and I yeah. also find new resources that I get to use in my classes so I literally rewrite my curriculum every year for those four courses because I'm like oh I want to do this and oh I found this cool video and oh this new book just came out and I want to share what's in it
1: that's great. That's yeah, that's, a, so that's cool. the mark of a good teacher, that the right? That's a, a that's teacher. a mark of a good teacher. You get
0: those teachers that that just recycle and recycle. Yeah. And just makes it easy. But that's like, hey, I care about my yeah. students. Let's give them the yeah. best and everything.
1: That's so. awesome. All right. Well, Lori, thank you so much, thank Anson. You. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great Easter and uh, Amen for the resurrection of our crushed Lord. Right? Absolutely, He is risen.
0: He's risen indeed. Thank you for joining Crossway on the With God Pod. Make sure to catch all our content on Sundays and during the week. See you next time.